BAI's Global Innovation Awards for 2020 are out, and the winners include a Texas-based bank that's one of the first banks to create its own Opportunity Zone Fund to promote development in low-income areas. We're joined on this week's podcast by Doug Schaefer and Noel St. Clair, both from Wood Forest National Bank. They'll tell us more about why and how they set up their fund. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. BAI recently announced the winners of our annual Global Innovation Awards, and among those honored was Wood Forest National Bank, which created an Opportunity Zone fund for the vast area it serves across the South, up the Atlantic coast to New York, and then west to Illinois. Joining us to talk about their innovative fund are Doug Schaefer and Noel St. Clair. Doug is Executive Vice President heading up Community Reinvestment at Wood Forest, and Noel is VP for Impact Investing and Strategic Initiatives. So Doug and Noel, let me welcome you both to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Terry, thanks for having us, and thanks to BAI for recognizing us with the Global Award. Yes, thank you. We're so pleased to be having this conversation with you today. That is a good segue into the first question. Let me congratulate you on being one of the winners of BAI's Global Innovation Awards for 2020. Wood Forest was selected in the societal and community impact category for your efforts in creating your own Opportunity Zone Fund. So, Doug, can you give us an overview of the fund? We were blessed to have a capital gain that we could put to use. And when we discovered that there was such synergy between an Opportunity Zone fund and the CRA, we really put it to good use. And really, the fund is a $20 million fund. Actually, we topped it off above that. And it really is meant to impact communities across our 17 states. And to date, we've had 10 projects that we've been able to invest in that created over 1,800 good jobs and over 1,000 units of affordable housing. We're pleased to be recognized for this, and we really welcome this conversation because we think it's a model that other banks and institutions can use to really focus their impact on markets. So in the past, Doug, Wood Forest has invested in other Opportunity Zone funds uh, set up and operated by others. What was your thinking in setting up your own fund this time? You know, what are you trying to do with this fund that you couldn't do using someone else's vehicle? There's a lot of great Opportunity Zone funds out there that we are partially invested in, some of them. And we really learned a lot about the space in a rapid amount of time, mainly due to the time sensitivity of these type of investments. And as we discovered, the manifestation of doing our own fund could help us focus our impact. We're in rural, suburban, urban, across 17 states and with one of the largest CRA footprints of any bank, yet we're you know not nearly as big as the others that share that type of footprint. So it was really the nature of our business model and trying to focus the impact on that, plus at the same time of the opportunity zone tax benefits to us was attractive as well. But mostly what we were interested in doing is partnering with some really good organizations to generate our own direct impact in the markets where we live and work. So, Noel, let's uh, bring you into the conversation. Now, 
you were the person who oversaw the day-to-day efforts to bring the Wood Forest CEI Bullis Opportunity Fund to life. So how big a job was that? And what were some of the key obstacles, some of the key challenges that you ran into along the way? I would say one of the largest challenges actually turned out to be an opportunity. As a nationally regulated bank by the OCC, we were one of the first banks the OCC had found to be wanting to create their own opportunity zone fund. So of course, being the first, there's a certain level of comfort we needed to get with our regulators to ensure them that this fund was really meant to serve the public welfare of residents in low and moderate income areas. And that was certainly our goal from the beginning. But I think just getting that regulatory comfort, which we did, and and now the OCC is encouraging other banks to get involved in this space with their CRA investments, which is a wonderful thing. But of course, we closed this fund in August of 2019, and then the world changed dramatically in 2020 in a way that none of us could have anticipated or imagined. So navigating those waters was tough, but through like-minded partners with a strong skill set, we were able to do that. Yeah, so no, no doubt a lot of big decisions had to be made once the idea of going with a fund was in motion, starting with that choice of the partner. So why did you end up picking CEI Bullis over the other firms that were in your mix? Doug, um, what did they bring that you saw as being special? Really, it's their proven track record. They have such a long track record of doing hard to accomplish transactions that have a lengthy compliance period and an exit period at the end. And their track record is second to no one. Full disclosure, I happen to sit on their board. And when I learned that there was a portion of CEI looking into exploring opportunity zones, I was blessed to have Noelle on our team who had just joined us. And she had experience with doing the research that led to a lot of the policy considerations adopted by the Opportunity Zone Fund legislation. We just made the connection. We were already well on our way to trying to put our capital gains to work. But after we connected the CEI Bulos team with Noel, it became apparent and obvious rather quickly that our aspirations and theirs align very well. Once you had the right partner to manage the fund and you put in the the 20 plus million that you had, it's time to go looking for projects, right? So the 17 states in which you operate include some of the most economically challenged parts of the country. You know, a lot of need and you with just a limited amount of capital. So Noel, how did you sort through the many worthy projects to land on the ones that actually got the funding? Well, one, the community development team that Doug leads at Wood Forest has community development relationship managers throughout our 17 state footprint. And they are in the communities with broad networks of relationships of people trying to make an impact in low and moderate income areas. So we tapped into those networks to source projects, but we ultimately reviewed over 150 deals. And for us, from the onset, we wanted a way to operationalize the impact goals of the fund. We looked at each of these deals to see, you know, how was the community engaged? Is there transparency in what's unfolding with this project? Is there social equity in mind? Will there be ongoing reporting? And these things were very important to us, as was the endorsement of our social impact advisory board. We appointed a board of some of the nation's uh, leaders in community development finance who reviewed each deal that we brought 
to make sure that it was not just strong financially, but also would have a positive impact in the community. Tell us, if you can, Noel, about one or two of the funded projects, their impact, and what made them stand out for you. And as part of that, I'm assuming you were not the first place they looked to for financing. So maybe you could also discuss why these projects weren't able to get funding from other sources. You know, we were really looking to maximize the impact out of the fund. So while a lot of the projects we looked at would have penciled from a financial perspective, we're really looking for the ones with outsized impact. And two come to mind to share just because they're so different, but still will have such a major game-changing effect on their local markets. One is in Philadelphia, which is my hometown. It's called the Sharswood Ridge Project. And this will bring affordable and workforce housing, a grocery store, a bank branch, and an urgent care to a neighborhood that's been underinvested for decades and right now is medically underserved and a food desert. So it's really meeting long-stated community needs. And, you know, you asked why some of these projects weren't able to get other funding sources. Sharswood's a great example of just how complicated these projects can be to come to fruition. This wouldn't have happened but for the opportunity zone equity that we were able to provide. But the capital stack also includes new market tax credits, state and city subsidy, and actually a carve out for equity crowdfunding for local residents to have an opportunity to build wealth from the revitalization of their own community. On the other end of the spectrum and in a more rural area, you know, not a major metro like Philadelphia, we were proud to be the sole investor in the revitalization of the St. James Hotel in Selma, Alabama, which has been vacant for some time, even though it's an asset that's central to the rich history of this rural city. And most importantly for us, it will create 45 permanent living wage jobs in Selma that will be available to local low-income residents. So this is an example of how Opportunity Zones can have an impact in a smaller rural area, but in a place that we know has so much potential to uh, revitalize these assets back to their original grandeur. So Doug, a big part of your role in getting the fund going was handling higher level strategy, being the project's point person with senior leadership. How tough a sell was this with others in the C-suite? Since you really didn't have a roadmap to follow of other banks setting up their Opportunity Zone funds, right? I'm particularly curious about how you were discussing the risks involved. Well, one of the things that we pride ourselves on at Wood Forest is we really are like a family environment. It's also true that we love to be innovators. It's partially probably from the fact that the employee base is the largest shareholder in a privately owned bank, but there's an appetite for innovation. And we've been first at the table many times with things like that. Another aspect is CRA is part of the executive leadership of the team. It's that important to us that my role sits at the top and reports to the CEO. So we have dialogue all the time about opportunities to outsize our impact. So we're always having deep, rich discussions on pipelines of opportunities and innovative ideas that are out there. But we also have a strong due diligence process that pulls in all of our counterparts, the people that have to say yes in the organization, as part of the process. So when we finally sit down with the investment committee, which is the CEO, the CFO, myself, uh, the head of credit, and we pull in some of the commercial lenders that uh, have area expertise when necessary. It's an easier discussion. It goes rather quickly. As a matter of fact, 
when we first proposed the idea, the initial fund size was going to be $13 million. But once we saw the pipeline of opportunities that Noel was just referring to, we upped it to $20 million. And then the pipeline was so rich, uh, we topped it off at another $2 million. So it's great to be part of an organization that has that spirit of innovation and outsizing the impact. And I can't say other banks are like that. And I hope others can see the opportunity here and that it's worth pursuing through whatever their governance structures are. Noel, diversity, equity, and inclusion, this is now a a front burner issue in the country, certainly in the financial services industry as well. The projects you ended up funding as part of the selection process, did diversity or equity considerations figure into your decision making? And if so, how? Absolutely. We were looking at things like community engagement and social equity to ensure that the projects we invested in had local buy-in. They were part of a community's vision for itself. And we really took an asset-based approach, meaning we recognized strengths that were in these markets that haven't been able to realize their full potential due to decades of disinvestment. And for a number of reasons, you know, capital hasn't flown equally throughout the country. So for us, you'll see in our portfolio that the majority of the communities where we invest are predominantly occupied by people of color. You know, you heard about the Selma investment, which we know Selma has a very special place in the decades-long fight for racial equity. And that was, you know, integral to us to make sure that asset got brought back and was revitalized in a way that supported the local community of Selma. But another example is our investment in Pembroke, North Carolina, again, a more rural area than you'll see much opportunity zone equity investment activity. But here we invested in affordable student housing at the University of North Carolina Pembroke, which it's a multi-phase project that will build 138 units, nearly 500 beds of student housing in this highly distressed rural town. It's part of the UNC North Carolina Promise Campus program, which provides in-state tuition costs for $500 per semester to keep college affordable. But what we learned is that since the housing costs were so high, there was still a barrier for low-income students. So through this investment, we were able to offer equal access to higher education. And UNCP was founded by the Native American Lumbee tribe of North Carolina, which is the largest Native American tribe on the East Coast and has a very diverse student population. Going through the intricate process of setting up the fund, getting past the obstacles, both internal and external, all the work involved in allocating the money, you no doubt have learned a ton. So as innovators, Wood Forest should expect others to follow their lead. With that in mind, Noel, what key bits of advice would you give to a bank that was thinking about creating its own Opportunity Zone fund? I once heard thinking new things is creativity, doing new things is innovation. And it's not easy to do new things. Luckily, I work for a bank that sees urgent needs, isn't afraid to take the risk of being the first at the table and try something new. So I'd say don't be afraid to be the first to try. But for banks that don't have that type of appetite, I think it's helpful to talk to others who have tried before. In our quest to create an Opportunity Zone fund, we talked to really almost every high-impact investment manager that was active in the space, just to understand from both their successes and their failures, learn as much as you can so you can increase your chance of success. And for us, what was really critical, as we've mentioned, is choosing like-minded partners. And that goes from our fund manager 
to the developers, we have to align ourselves with people who have similar visions for us. And that was critical for the success of this fund. So now that you have all of this hard-won knowledge, it would seem to be a shame if this fund is just a one and done. So Doug, I'm sure you have some good projects from 2020 left unfunded. Can we expect to see more opportunity funding in Wood Forest's future? Or perhaps you have another innovation brewing? Well, we have to do the hard work before our creative ideas become the innovation. So we'll leave those some of those unsaid. And we would feel really blessed if we had the recurring issue of a large capital gain we could put to work. But those are few and far between. That one came from the sale of a business. We do have smaller, more regular capital gains. And from those, we will deploy them in high impact, multi-investor, multi-asset opportunity zone funds that we source and continue to do diligence on. And we will look for making sure that innovation DNA that we're proud of never stops. We're not afraid to partner, challenge each other, challenge other banks, challenge communities to step forward with us and and meet the cause. And we don't think we're even scratching the surface of the scale this could have. I'd imagine you're right, especially if other banks follow your lead on this by creating their own funds. So Doug Schaefer, Noel St. Clair, key players in the creation of Wood Forest's Innovative Opportunity Zone Fund. Thanks again for sharing your story with us on the Banking Strategies podcast. Thank you, Terry. A few takeaways on innovation from our conversation with Noel St. Clair and Doug Schaefer from Wood Forest National Bank. First, the Wood Forest experience reflects one of the most important traits for an innovator, not being afraid to try something new. Among banks creating their own Opportunity Zone funds, Wood Forest is breaking a trail that others will be able to follow. And while they're pioneers, they weren't totally on their own. One of the keys to their success was learning what they could from non-banks operating in the space. Having a culture that embraces innovation helped get the internal buy-in and approvals needed to move the Opportunity Zone Fund from an idea to a reality. Doug and Noel and their team still had to make the case to everyone at Wood Forest whose approval was required, but getting to yes is an easier process when that's where the people at the top want to get. And finally, for Wood Forest, an individual event spurred the Opportunity Zone Fund. Even though they're not expecting another large capital gain anytime soon, Noel and Doug continue to talk about innovation. That's commonplace among innovators. They tend not to be one and done types. The experience that comes with building something new has a way of becoming habit forming, with success begetting more success in driving change. Thanks for being with us for this installment of the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please join us again next week for another conversation on an important theme for the financial services industry.